Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning, and welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We're having kind of a snowy and icy day here in the Kansas City area, but we're here in the Lord's house having a good time. If you've joined us uh, on, our, on the internet today, we're glad that you did. We're in Romans chapter 8. As we have been going through the book of Romans, or I should say Romans chapter 8, not the whole book, we've not been back to Romans 8 since December 12, so it's been over a month uh, because of the holidays and the things that have gone on before we've been able to get back to it. So uh, let me just give you a little bit of review of this chapter. We've looked at it as a study of the Holy Spirit because of the prominence of the Holy Spirit in this chapter, the number of times the Spirit is mentioned here. In verse 2, we were told the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. In verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We've learned these things in this chapter. Verse 9 says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You belong to Him, and He belongs to you. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. And verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. You have a promise of resurrection coming one day. Verse 23 then said, not only they, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. We're waiting for the time when we will be made like Christ because of death and resurrection. So we come to verse 28. And Kent, when he read the scripture to us a minute ago here in the auditorium, read this verse also. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And notice to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God is working all things out for believers, for those of us who love God, and we love God because we're the called according to his purpose, because uh, we found salvation in him. He has called and we have answered. And because we have answered, we are the called. And so this pregnant use of this word, as some people call it, in, especially in Paul's letters and Peter's letters, includes the fact of our acceptance of this call as well. The purpose of God. We're called according to His purpose. And notice I titled my message today, Called for a Purpose. Well, the purpose of God is the salvation of the lost, as we see in this verse that we're, these verses that we're looking at this morning. And God gives us five steps, if you will, or five links in a chain, as some have described it, in verses 29 and 30. Five things, and you have them as the five points of your outline this morning that comprise his purpose. And these things bring assurance to the believers. And no doubt in Rome, as well as other churches in Paul's day, there were those young Christians, those early ones, 
who uh, had a lot of questions about salvation and about their assurance in the Lord. And so he gives them these things in these two verses to assure them of their salvation. Read the verses with me, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be, that he, that is Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Isn't that an amazing thing? All of these five things are in what is called the aorist tense or the past tense. In other words, Paul looks at everything from the very beginning of time to the very future of time and looks at them all as past tenses, all of them completed. In other words, if you are the called of God, you are also the glorified of God. It is that sure. And so what assurance does that bring to a believer that knows that uh, he or she has been called by God, then, then I will be glorified one day. One is as complete as the other. And why is this true? Why is, uh, are we called then according to this purpose? Well, verse 29 begins with the word for, meaning because or for this reason, for this purpose. And I want you then to follow these five things that these, these two verses say. First of all, we are foreknown eternally and lovingly. So verse 29 says, for whom, and that whom there will refer back to the called in verse 28, he, that has to be God, foreknew. He knew before everything else. God knows everything from the beginning to the end. And so there's the word to know, ginosko, and then the prefix to it, foreknew, pra ginosko, which means he's known everything from every instance of eternity. This is called his foreknowledge. That's why we have the word foreknew. It's part of God's omniscience, and omniscience of God is an attribute, not an action. In other words, this is something that has always been true of God. God has always known everything from the very beginning to the very end, and if he didn't, he's not God. Now, he can have actions that change from this time to that time, but his knowledge can never change. It is eternal. And so there never was a time when God did not know everything. So when we come to this foreknowledge, uh, the Bible is full of this, this kind of speaking. Let me give you a few things. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, Psalm 1-6. You only have I known from all the families of the earth, Amos 3-2. I know my sheep, Jesus said. The Lord knoweth them that are his, 2 Timothy 2-19. And on and on we could go. You can take a concordance and look up this word, and you'll find these kinds of things always in it. So God's love was always upon you, the saved, you that know him as Savior, because there never was a time that he did not know you as saved. He's known this for eternity. In other words, you can't add 
something to God's knowledge at a certain point, or he wouldn't be God. If you could add a certain knowledge at a certain point, then he wasn't God before that, and he became God at that time? Or the fact is, then he would be more God after he knows something than he was before he knew it? No, that's why this is his omniscient. It's impossible. He has always known and always will know. And so from eternity, from a beginning that we cannot imagine, and really with no beginning, God always saw everything. And he saw your salvation. He saw mine. He saw you as elect, as he calls you that. And so he has known everything from the very beginning. Now, as we think about just this word briefly, of course, we have to ask ourselves, does that mean God is sovereign? Absolutely, God is sovereign. And God has controlled everything because he knows everything. Does this mean that human beings still had a choice or a free will? Absolutely, it means that. And those two things are true, whether our human mind can figure that out or not. And God has always seen your choices and always has known them. And that's why I say we are foreknown eternally and lovingly. And God has always loved you as a believer. And he's always known that. And there was never was a time when he did not know it. If he did not know that you would be a believer before you chose him, then he wasn't God before that. If it, there was a time that he did not see you as elect before you are elect, then God was not God before that. He's always known these things. And that's why foreknowledge is always first in all of these lists. So we are foreknown eternally and lovingly. Paul puts that first in the list. And then notice that we are appointed then to a couple things. So it proceeds to say, he, it, since he did foreknow, he also predestined, and read the whole sentence, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that's the first thing, that, uh, uh, excuse me, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what God has always known, he's always had a plan for. To predestinate means to be previously appointed, something that is determined, something that is purposed, as we have that word in, uh, in verse 28. So, again, that word, by the way, this word only appears six times in the New Testament. I'll read them to you. It's translated either determined, ordained, or predestined. So in Acts 4.28, your purpose was determined before to be done. 1 Corinthians 2.7, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. You have two times in our two verses that this is mentioned. We're reading those, of course. But then two times in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to the adoption as sons. And Ephesians 1.11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so, because he knows you, he also had a plan or a purpose for you. He knows because he's God and he's omniscient. Uh, he knows your salvation. He knew it before the foundation of the world. And so he had a plan 
appointed for you, and the plan at least contains at least two things that we're given in this verse, a number of other things in other verses. But number one, you are to be excuse me, transformed, uh, if you will. We have it uh, in, in uh, our verse here, uh, to be conformed. And the other is to be resurrected. He determined that you as a believer needs to be transformed to the image of his son. You know what God's will for you is? To be like Christ. God's will for you from the beginning of the world has been to be like Christ. That's what he has predestined. That's what he has before determined would happen to believers. Now, you know the word transformed or conformed because it's the word morphe. We have this word often in the New Testament. For example, you know Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, inside and out, so to speak. God wants you to be transformed in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed or transformed to be like his death. He wants you to have that same mind that Christ had. And then in Philippians 3.21, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. One day, he will glorify us, and you will be inside and out like Christ. So what is he saying here? We're to be transformed into the image of his son. Your job as a believer, your job as a Christian is to be like Christ, first and foremost, before anything else in this world. You need to study Christ. You need to know him. You need to to, to uh, read what he says and hear what he says and be like that. Follow his commands. Be like him. Now, this process we often call sanctification in the New Testament is simply that, number one, when you were saved, when you were born again, you were given the ability to do this. Even though before you were saved, you did not. If you didn't have the Spirit of God in you, remember Romans chapter 8 and even the verses that I've read this morning. If you didn't have the Spirit of God in you, you would have no ability to be conformed to the image of God's Son. But you do, and you have the Spirit of God. So secondly, there's a process through your life. This is called uh, progressive sanctification. So you begin as a baby Christian, as an early person. You, maybe you're later in life, but maybe you just got saved. Maybe you just received Christ as Savior. You begin learning you begin reading and doing, and you are growing in Christ, and you will be growing all of your life. But you will never reach the image of his son until finally you die and walk into his presence. And at that point, that glorification, that time when you go into his presence, then you will be like him, for you will see him as he is, John says. So that process is to be conformed to the image of his son. What Paul is saying is that's his plan for you and for everyone who receives Christ as Savior that he has foreknown throughout eternity. Secondly, it is also his plan that you be resurrected. How do we see that? Well, look again at verse uh, 29. Not only are we conformed to the image of his son, but that he, that is Christ, 
might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, it is God's plan that throughout all eternity we would be brothers of Christ and uh, as some have called him, our elder brother, that's okay. We will never be deity as he is, but we will be uh, in that immortal state as he is. So he is to be resurrected among others. Listen to these verses. Revelation 1.5, it is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus is the first one, and, and by the way, right now, the only one who has ever been resurrected. But he'll, he's just the first of those born. Acts 26, 23, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead. And 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who slept. So in other words, Christ is the first to be resurrected, but he's not going to be the last, and he's not the only one. We will be resurrected also so that he might be the first among many brethren, so that there will be a population in heaven and a population forever of not only Christ, who's the firstborn from the dead, but all the rest of us who will be resurrected from the dead as well. That is God's plan for you. And so just as he saw Jesus Christ in his fleshly body dying and then resurrecting, he sees you the same way. Now, all of this in, these, in verse 29, the fact that he foreknew and the fact that he appointed these two things, God has known from all eternity. There was never a beginning to it. He's just God. He's omniscient. This has to be true of him before all time. The next three things that we find in verse 30 are things then that are put more into a chronological order, or at least they logically follow these things. But these three things also that we find in verse 30 are also in the past tense. God, God sees all of this because he's always seen it. To him, everything is a snapshot, not a movie. Nothing is moving along from frame to frame. He sees everything at once. And he can talk about it as something that has already happened at any point in that picture that he wants to. So notice that he says again, for whom he predestined. He goes back to that word a second time, that appointment, that plan that he has for you. And he talks about those that he saw and predestined or set a purpose for through this process of sanctification. Those people he called by the gospel, I say. We have that, moreover, whom he predestined. These, then, those same ones, those believers, he called. Now, the gospel goes out, the, I should say the call goes out to everyone in the world. God calls everyone. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. That's called the gospel, and it goes out to all the world. And since God is omniscient, he always knew your call was effectual, and he knew that from the beginning of time. He saw you as saved, he saw and he called you elect from the beginning of time. Why? Because he always saw it. There was never a time when he couldn't have seen it. He knew that from the beginning of time. 
And so you are the called, and there is this pregnant sense, if you will, in Paul's uh, writings, that the call, though it goes out to all, not all answer it. And so often the believers are simply described as the called ones. You are called to those who are called according to his purpose, verse 28 said. All right? Let me remind you of these verses. Of course, you have Romans 8.28. We're called according to his purpose. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, to which he called you by our gospel. 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And we even have, by the way, in Matthew 22.14, many are called, few are chosen. Everyone is called, but there are a few people who actually answer that call. And when you answer that call, you become the called. I like the way Paul described it when he addressed the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1-2. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. So when you call, you are the called. And so God knew this, of course, from all eternity. There's no way he could not have known it. So you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior as a point in time because that's the way we live. God saw that from all eternity, and uh, he knew that you would be the called. And he called you, and you answered that call. And so he can refer to all of that in the past tense. Those that he knew, those that he predestined, he called them. And we have that first in verse 30. Secondly, uh, he, uh, whom uh, he called then, these he also justified. Well, are you justified? <laughs> you are if you're saved. You are if you're a believer. This word uh, means uh, to be forensically justified. In other words, God pronounces you righteous. God says, you are my own. God says, your sins are forgiven. God says that there is no case against you any longer. So, did God know you? Yes, you have to say he did. Did God predestine you to be conformed to his son? Yes, he did. Did God call you? Yes, he did. Then God justified you. And you are saved by his grace and not by your works. Now, we know that justification has to be by God's grace and not by your works. Work, your good work, cannot be accepted by God toward your salvation. You can't do something that merits your salvation. And so uh, that is why salvation is by faith, because faith is not a work. Faith is something that you simply have to attach yourself to the work that he did. Let me remind you uh, again of Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Work, faith is not a work. Faith is something you do to accept his work. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Faith is not a work. Faith attaches you to Jesus Christ who did the work. 
It's kind of like I say a trailer hitch, you know. A vehicle with an engine has the power to, to go. A trailer has no power at all. So a trailer needs a hitch, and you hitch that trailer to the vehicle that has the power. And so you had no power to do anything to save yourself, but by faith you attached yourself to Jesus Christ who has the power to save you, who did the work to save you. And so for you, the ledger is clean. The account is settled. Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sin, and you are righteous, justified before him. We're moving along quickly, aren't we, through, this, through eternity? <laughs> so... Then he also called, whom he also called, or predestined, he also called, whom he also called, he justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Again, in past tense, isn't that amazing? Your glorification hasn't happened yet, and yet because of the way God is, his omniscience and what he sees, it's seen as a completed act and spoken of as if it's in the past, as all of these things he sees as in the past. So we will be glorified at resurrection time. We've already spoken about that in verse 29. He will be the firstborn among many brethren, all of those who one day will have been resurrected. And we will be perfect. That is, sin will be gone. Our ability even to, to sin will be gone. We will be in our immortal state, and we will be like Christ except for his deity, and we will live in God's presence and in the presence of Jesus Christ forever, glorified. It's a wonderful thing when, when you think about the fact that, that those of us from this age and this earth and this life that we live in and the sin that we carry with us throughout our life It'll all be gone, and we will be glorified forever. And this life will be but a, but a wink of time when that happens. God saw all of this. He saw it all from the very beginning. How could he not have seen this being God? And so he speaks of it as already done. My message is short today. So let me say this. I can sincerely say to you who are listening to my voice today, you must be born again. And I can say that you can be today if you're not born again. I say that with all the confidence of these verses, that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. God has sovereignly provided for it, and he has seen it as your responsibility to accept it. Both of those things are true. And when you do and you accept it, you are the called according to his purpose and have been forever. Now, if we can, as, with our human minds, can understand these things, <laughs> then we must be like him. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. But praise the Lord, they are true. Praise the Lord, God is such a God. Praise the Lord that he has provided such a salvation for us that we might have eternal life uh, through faith in him. I pray that you know him, and if not, I pray that you would know him today. Stand now with me, if you will, as we think about these things and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll sing a song of invitation, as we always do, because we always invite people to come to Christ at the close of our services. Let's pray together.
Father, how we magnify and glorify you for being who you are. And thank you, Father, for uh, your omniscience, your omnipotence in saving us and doing what we could not do. Thank you, Father, that we have the assurance that you, if you know us as saved, know us also as glorified. And there's nothing we could do to lose that. And we thank you, Father, that we have that great assurance because of these great truths of you as our Father. So, Father, bless in this. Give us assurance by it. And I pray, Father, also that perhaps somewhere today, whether by my voice or other voices, people who hear the gospel today might receive Jesus Christ as Savior, as they're commanded to do. So, Father, bless in this time as we think about this, as we sing a song. May you be glorified. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in the song. We always give an invitation and sing at the close of our service. Uh, so, Gordon, come and lead us. You do what the Lord is leading you to do.